Well, I'm going to do something this morning that I have not done in my time here at Berean. That should at least cause you to sit up and wonder, all right, what's he going to do? Well, in my time here at Berean, I have on rare occasions preached on a passage that I've preached on before that's kind of hard to avoid when you're doing Christmas and some of those holidays. But I have never preached a message that was pretty close to the message that I'd already preached here. So this morning, I'm going to do that. Because as I studied 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses, and then I looked back at an outline, I thought, well, I, I think I hit the target pretty close the first time. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, but it's going to be very similar to the very first sermon I preached to you as your pastor back on July 19th, 2009. Not because this is my last sermon as your pastor, it is not, but because in that sermon I laid out for you how I thought you should measure me as your pastor. And now I want to take that passage and lay out for us today what we should look for in Berean's next pastor. People have all kinds of expectations of what a pastor should be and a pastor should do some of them are good and realistic, and some of them are not so good. And I have a cartoon in my file I don't think I've ever used, but it is so fitting to where we are today as we think about expectations. So this woman hears a husband and wife fighting, and there's a knife involved, and she says, I was going to phone the police, but then I thought, no, what they need is a pastoral call. I want to tell you, at 2.20 in the morning where there's a knife involved, they don't need a pastoral call, they need a police call. Maybe after that a pastoral call, but people have expectations of what a pastor should be and do, and not all of them are realistic. Next weekend, a man will be here as the possible next lead pastor with a time of overlap with me. And I want to remind you that, that I'm the guy who initiated this transition. Nobody said, it's really time for you to you know, head toward pasture. As I hit my mid-60s, I thought, you know, there is an energy level and a vision part of what is needed here that, that I don't have. And so God began this transition process about three years ago. And I have been part of that. Part of my joy is to be able to do what I'm going to do this morning because I love you as, part, as my flock. I want you to know my heart as we think about who the next pastor should be. I'm not going to pick him for you. That's not my role. I think we have a good man coming next week, but you've got to decide if he's the man that God has for Berean. But I don't want you to measure him by your favorite online preacher or by your favorite pastor or by me. I want you to measure him by what God says he ought to be. And so this morning, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is not everything God has to say about pastors, but it is a critical section. And if you are here this morning, or you're watching online this morning, you're not part of Berean, then I would say to you, this message doesn't let you off the hook, because this is still what pastors ought to be, and if you can look and say, well, my pastor is at least some of that, then I want to encourage you to encourage him because I guarantee you there are days when he needs that. So let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 5 
and realize that Peter is writing in the context of persecution. If we were to take the time to go back to chapter 1, verse 1, we would see Peter is addressing people who've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire by persecution. And certainly in that setting, they need good pastors. But so does Berean. And so Peter begins with these words. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter is going to lay out for us in this passage three words that are really three roles, three responsibilities that are encompassed in what a pastor is and should be. And he begins with that word elder. A pastor must be an elder who walks with Jesus. That word elder implies not just age. In fact, it really implies more experience than it does age. And it comes right out of their culture. Because the leaders of Jewish synagogues were called elders. They were men who had experience, who were, had some age under their belt and were looked upon as those who could lead. But Peter, as he talks about experience, doesn't talk about experience in a vacuum. He says a pastor must be one whose relationship with Jesus is rock solid. That's the experience. That's the part of being an elder. And he uses himself. He says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now that was literally true for Peter. He had walked with Jesus. He had seen what Jesus went through. Perhaps at a distance, we don't know, he had seen some of what happened at the cross. But it is also true for you and me as it was for those who read this letter in the first century. We aren't eyewitnesses, but we are witnesses to what Jesus Christ has done. We are witnesses to, to the fact that he died, was buried, he rose again, and he did that so that you and I could have a right relationship with God. And so we become, along with Peter, witnesses to the truth. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It is true for a pastor, it's true for all of us, that we need that personal, solid, committed relationship with Jesus Christ where we know Him and what He has done for us. And when we know that, then the second part of verse 1 comes into play. Peter says, I am also a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed Jesus is coming back, he says, and I am a partaker. The word there is, is a word you may be familiar with, koinonia. I'm a sharer in, I fellowship in what is ahead. So my relationship with Jesus is based on what he did for me, and it is real and personal now, and I'm looking forward to the day when he comes back, when I can fellowship with him and be with him for eternity in heaven. Berean's next pastor must have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, I looked for this cartoon. I couldn't find it online, but a number of years ago, Family Circus cartoon had a, a, just one panel where the little girl, Dolly, is sitting with her mother in church. And she looks up at her mother, and she says these words, Is our pastor a friend of God's, 
or do they just know one another through business? Sadly, there are pulpits all over this country this morning where there are men who are speaking who only know Jesus through business. It's not a deep and personal relationship with him. And we need to make sure that the next pastor who leads Berean has a rock-solid relationship with Jesus. Because real ministry flows out of that relationship. It doesn't flow out of knowledge and, and ability. Those are important. But it's got to be founded in that relationship that he has with Jesus. So look for that. Pray for that. Pray for that for all of us who are your pastors, that our relationship with Jesus will be real and growing. But that's not just a need for pastors, is it? It's a need for every one of us who know Jesus. So I would ask you, first of all, this morning, do you know Jesus as your Savior? If that is not true, if you do not know him, then I challenge you before you leave today to come to know Jesus. Talk to me, talk to whoever brought you, and come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus. If you do know him, then is that relationship growing? That's not just a pastor's responsibility, that's for all of us, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Peter goes on, the end of the section. He brackets the section with verses 1 and 4 with this idea that he must be an elder who walks with Jesus because in verse 1, he talks about the glory to be revealed and now he comes back to that glory in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter wants us to understand that a pastor's life must have a chief shepherd focus. He talks about a crown of glory that doesn't fade. In the Olympic Games and the other kinds of games like that in their culture, you didn't win a gold medal when you won an event. You won a laurel wreath. Now, you know, I would really rather have the gold medal, but they didn't do that back then. That laurel wreath was a sign of honor. You were crowned with it. But guess what happens to laurel wreaths? Over time, they dry out, they fade, they begin to crumble. Peter says, that's not what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. I'm looking forward to an unfading crown of glory. Now, I believe there are literal crowns, but I think ultimately in Peter's mind, he's thinking about what Pastor Ryan talked about last week. Hearing, well done, good job, faithful servant. Every pastor, every leader will answer to the chief shepherd. And so we need to have that focus of accountability for our leading. Our goal is always his approval. And, and Berean's next pastor must have a desire to please Christ alone. Not you, necessarily, and not me. His ministry has to be what the chief shepherd wants it to be. And so those expectations that we have, whether they're good or they're not so good, aren't ultimately the measure. The measure is what does the chief shepherd think of him? He can't meet all the expectations. He will do things that you don't like. I can guarantee you that because I have. In fact, when I came, some of you know this, when I came, there was a man that left the church because I was from Ohio. 
that is a bad reason to leave, okay? But I can tell you that the man who's coming next week is not from Ohio, so some of you can relax a little, all right? I went digging through the uh, first century church bulletins that I have. Not really. But I found a cartoon that could have been in the first century bulletins. Our last apostle told better stories about his days with Jesus. See, ever since the first century, people have been comparing pastors with pastors. And we shouldn't be doing that. You don't need a people pleaser as your next pastor. You need a chief shepherd pleaser. One who will make the approval of the chief shepherd ultimate in his life. You don't need a pastor who agrees with you all the time. You need a pastor who listens to the chief shepherd. Someday, we who are pastors will answer for how we led the people of God. That is an awesome responsibility. Hebrews 13 talks about that. So you need to pray for him. You need to pray for us. But really, we'll all stand before God someday, won't we? You will stand before God, and if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, God will say, I don't know you. Depart from me, and you'll spend eternity in hell. It doesn't have to be that way. You can change that destiny today by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But those of us who know Christ, we're going to stand before Jesus too. And our sins have been cleansed away. We don't have to worry about eternity. We don't have to worry about judgment. But we are going to give an account for how faithful we've been with what God has entrusted to us. We are going to long to hear, well done. But for a pastor, that is especially a reminder. He must be an elder who walks with Jesus. The second word that Peter uses to describe is shepherd. A pastor must be a shepherd who moves among his people. And again, this is a term that comes right out of their culture, doesn't it? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Ezekiel talks to the leaders of Israel and he calls them faithless shepherds. Jesus, as he's teaching, talks about himself as the good shepherd. And so Peter now takes that analogy and he says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. You have a responsibility to be a shepherd. That's really the word pastor is the word for shepherd. And he wants us to understand that in addition to a chief shepherd focus, a pastor's life must have a sheep focus. He is a pastor. He's a shepherd. He's one who provides spiritual food and protection. That's the role of the shepherd. You look at Psalm 23, and the primary things that are talked about are food and protection. And so a pastor must be one who feeds the flock the word of God and seeks to protect it from the attacks of the enemy. I think in Peter's mind as he's writing this is a scene that took place on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection When Jesus restores Peter back to ministry and three times he asks him, Peter, do you love me? The middle time he asks that in John 21, 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend, pastor, same word, pastor, my sheep. 
And then if you look at the first time Jesus and Peter interact and the third time, the, the parallel word there is feed, feed my sheep. So Peter says that's, that's a primary responsibility for a pastor is to be a shepherd who feeds the sheep, who teaches the word of God. Notice, shepherd the flock of God. Sometimes people say, well, that's Berean, that's Bill Abernathy's church. And if I hear them and it registers, I say, no, it isn't. It's Berean, but it's not Bill Abernathy's church. It's Jesus' church. He's the chief shepherd. I'm just an under-shepherd. And it's time in the providence of God for a new lead under-shepherd here. But it's God's flock. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's His. And that goes back to the idea of accountability again. And so the next pastor must be committed to shepherding you and shepherding you well, to teaching the Word of God, to preaching the whole counsel of God. I see that in the man that's coming next week, but you've got to discern whether that's true or not. He doesn't have to be the Apostle Paul. The next pastor doesn't have to be John Piper, doesn't have to be Matt Chandler, doesn't have to be filling any other of your favorite online preachers, doesn't have to be Charles Spurgeon if you want to go back. He just has to be faithful in feeding the flock with the Word of God. But that's not just his responsibility. We all are supposed to be feeding on this Word, right? One or two meals a week isn't enough to sustain us spiritually. We need to be Bereans. We need to live out our name and search the Scriptures daily to see what God is saying and to see if what the pastor or the missionary or whoever stands up here, if what they are saying lines up with the truth of God's Word. It's our responsibility to feed ourselves as well, but it is His responsibility to have a sheep focus. And a pastor's relationship with the sheep must be personal. Peter doesn't have any time for a CEO style of pastor who sits up above and just kind of sends out proclamations. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. A shepherd who moves among the people. Although the phrase is actually a little different than that. Did you catch it? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's almost like Peter pictures this group of pastors and the sheep walking around among the shepherds. However you want to picture that, the point is that, that it's a personal relationship. There's a connection there. Probably other professions do it too, but there, there's kind of a humor that is only between pastors sometimes. You go to a pastor's meeting and you might actually hear somebody say something like this. I love the ministry, but I'm not sure about the people. You can't be a pastor if you don't care about the people. It's not enough just to care about the ministry. The ministry is people. And there's no CEO model of pastor here. The Berean's pastor has to be a man who will get to know you, who will care for you, who will minister well to you in good and bad times. But again, that's not just his job. We're all to care for each other. That's part of the life of the body. It's not just the pastor or pastor's, plural's job to meet all the needs. We can't. 
but the body can. And, and when I hear of people visiting some of our shut-ins, when I hear of you taking meals into people, I hear you helping out people who have a need, I think that's it. That's what the body is about. And the shepherd leads in that. He must be a shepherd who moves among the people. Peter goes on, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. A pastor must be an overseer who is a servant leader for the church. And again, this word comes out of their culture. The overseer was the, the person who was in charge of business in the Gentile world. And in some, perhaps some areas where the Gentiles were strongest, even in the synagogue, they occasionally use this term for somebody who is leading. And Peter wants us to understand that a pastor must give direction to ministry. He exercises oversight. That that root of that word oversight is actually the word from which we get bishop. And some of you are familiar with religious cultural settings, denominations that have a bishop that's over a group of churches. And that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter says the elder, the shepherd pastor, the bishop, they're all one role. They're all one person. They're all the pastor, the shepherd of the flock. This is just a different responsibility that he has a responsibility to give direction to ministry. So the shepherd who moves among his people must also lead them. And so he not only feeds, but he leads, and he leads them as a player coach. It's not that he tells them, go do the ministry, but he's engaged in ministry with them and helping them to see the direction and the purpose of ministry. And so he leads by being among them and partaking in the ministry. Part of the next pastor's role will be to oversee ministry here. Not to do it all, but to set direction. And if he is wise, he'll spend a lot of time getting to know what Berean's all about, how our ministries function. He won't step in and change everything immediately. He will wisely look at what's happening and then say, okay, let's go this way. He won't be able to be hands-on with everything. But he will need to know what's happening and give direction. And so I want to encourage you, as you have done in the past, continue to follow your pastors as we follow Christ in giving oversight here. Even if it's not exactly how you would do it, follow. A pastor must give direction to ministry and his life must have a servant focus. Yes, he leads, but how is he leading and why is he leading? And again, I think Peter is flashing back to his own life. And he is remembering all of those times, because it pops up a lot in the Gospels, when he and James and John and the other apostles were walking along and they were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes Jesus had to stop and rebuke them. And even on the way to the upper room, on, on the time when Jesus is going to die, they were arguing about who'd be greatest. Because that's human nature. 
Just a week or so ago in my personal devotions, I was reading 3 John and was reminded again about a man named Diotrephes, who John says loves to have first place. He loves to be up here and will squelch anybody else from taking his power. That's human nature, but it's not how pastors are supposed to be. Peter says, how do you lead? Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice there's a right reason for leading. Not because he has to, but strong contrast, he wants to, he's willing. He comes as God would have you. He comes according to the direction of God. And so you have that, what Dr. Wilbert Welch used to call that divine human cooperative, where we have engaged in a very thorough search for a man that we believe might be who God wants us to have. And, and that man has to believe God is calling him here, but God has to put him here, and you have to affirm that choice. And so it's, it's all of those things together, but he, he needs to want to be here as God puts that in his heart. So that's the right reason to lead, the right motive is not for selfish gain, but eager to serve others. You have very generously paid me a salary over these years, and I thank you for it. That's not why I served here. Now, if you hadn't paid me, I wouldn't have been able to serve here because I've got to support my family. But I served here, and I serve here because God called me here. God put me here. And so the next pastor needs to be one who comes for the right reasons with the right motives and the right method. Not leading dictatorially, but through godly example. Example is the power of leadership. Domineering, that word literally means to rule down on somebody. And Jesus says in the Gospels, that's how the Gentiles do it. They rule down from on high, but that's not how you do it. Whoever wants to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant. And Peter gets it now. And he says, I, I don't want to be domineering. I don't want you to be domineering. I want you instead to exemplify leading as a servant. I am not really big on paraphrases, but I came across one this week that, has, that this just nails this phrase. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. I like that. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them how to do it. Sadly, many of us, maybe all of us, have heard the stories of spiritual abuse in churches. Some of you have lived through that. Some of you may be watching today online because you think, I'm not getting back into that scene. That's not what the church is supposed to be like. Pastors are not supposed to be domineering and spiritually abuse the sheep. In my previous ministry, I knew of a situation where the pastor got upset with the people and the other leaders and came in on a Sunday and said, here's the new church constitution. If you don't like it, leave. That's domineering. That is not being an example to the flock. Peter says that's what we're called to do, to have a servant Focus. Notice, not domineering over those in your charge. Literally, over the portion assigned to you. It's a reminder again that the flock is not ours. 
that is a portion that has been assigned to us as pastors by God. His life must have a servant focus. Biblical leadership is always servant leadership. But that's true for all of us, not just pastors, isn't it? I mean, we all have to continually examine our motives. Why am I serving? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it so that I get accolades? Am I doing it so people are impressed by me? Am I doing it to minister to other people? Or even better, am I doing it to the glory of God? That ought to be our motivation. Berean's next pastor. He needs to be an elder, a shepherd, an overseer. There are other things. We haven't touched on all of them. The pastoral epistles talk about other qualities and certainly his relationship to those who don't know Christ and the importance of his relationship with his family. But Peter highlights these three. And I encourage you to use them and the other passages to evaluate who will be Berean's next pastor. And understand that none of these happen because of who we are. They're just demonstrations of the grace of God in our lives. We need God's grace. We need God's empowering as pastors, and you need it as God's people. So pray for him this week. Pray for him and then measure him by the word of God and see whether he is the man God has for Berean. I want to go on and just touch very quickly on what Peter continues on to say because I think there are three exhortations that we need in this time of transition. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Again, I think Peter's having a flashback. I think he is picturing the upper room. He is picturing Jesus girding himself with the towel and then washing Peter's feet. And he says, we need that same humility. We need to gird ourselves, clothe ourselves with humility. But notice, he's not just talking to pastors. He's saying, all of us need this and in this time of transition we need to make sure it's not all about us it's not about my way i have sat in meetings sadly of churches that were deeply struggling and there's something i have noticed in those meetings rarely rarely do i hear we need to glorify god what I hear is, I want this to be done. I think we should do this. We need to go this way. We need to... There may be some truth to some of that, but the ultimate thing needs to be, I need to humble myself enough to say, it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. Secondly, Peter in verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Change is hard. Some of you, in spite of my best admonitions, have, have already been saying, but we don't want you to leave. It's not going to happen soon. There's going to be a time of overlap whenever it happens. But ultimately, yes, God will move us away. But guess what? The chief shepherd is still here. 
And you can cast all of your concerns on him, and he will care for you far better than Bill Abernathy ever could care for you, and far better than whoever comes could care for you, because he's the chief shepherd. And then finally, Peter warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith. We need that warning because a time of transition, a time of pastoral change can be a time of turmoil. It can be a time when Satan gets a foothold and he would love nothing better than to devour you and to break apart Berean Baptist Church. So don't let him. Be on guard. Be humble. Don't be anxious. Trust God and pray. Berean's next pastor, I don't know his name, you don't either, but he needs to be committed to Jesus, connected to the people, and coming alongside to lead. So now let me give you a last couple closing exhortations that are not inspired scripture, that are just your under-shepherd speaking. Can I encourage you? Because sometimes Pastoral transitions are a time when people say, well, this is a good time for me just kind of drift off into the sunset. This is a good time for me to stop being involved because he'll never know. Of course, Pastor Steve and Pastor Jim and Pastor Ryan will still know. Don't drift. Don't disappear. Don't go into a slow fade. Get involved. If you're not involved, get involved. If you are, stay involved. Some of you have been wrestling with, with whether to get baptized or not, and we're going to have the privilege of baptizing a bunch of people next Sunday night, but some of you aren't in that group. But what better way to bless a new pastor coming in than to say, Pastor, I need to be obedient to God and be baptized. Some of you, I understand, are, are just kind of sitting to see what, what's going to happen. Who is this new guy? But after you see him and you discover he is God's man for this place, then join Get involved in Berea and be part of, of what this wonderful ministry is all about. I've said before, and I still believe, Berean's best days are ahead. Be part of that. And for all of us, let's be praying this week. Come next Saturday and Sunday if you're able to. If you're not able to come on Sunday, watch it online and see who this man is. And then come on the 27th and, and vote as you believe God wants you to vote. Because we need a pastor who's committed to Jesus, connected to the people, and coming alongside to lead. Let's pray. Lord, you are the chief shepherd of the flock. Thank you. Thank you that there will never be a time when you are not caring for your people that you will never drop us, that you will never fail to meet what we really need. Thank you that you have in your sovereign wisdom ordained that there are men who serve under you in churches. Not because of who they are, Lord, we're not worthy, but because you have called and you have placed Thank you for the process and for the careful work that our search team has done. And I pray that as our candidate comes next week, you would help all of us with open hearts and open minds.
to look at him through the lens of Scripture. And may you, by your grace, give Berean the next lead pastor who can take her on until Jesus returns. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.